the big D. Not talking about Dallas. Divorce. That's how you're going to start? Well, there's no easy way to get into this subject. It happens to be what Jesus is talking about uh, in his epic Sermon on the Mount, Talk on the Big Hill. So I figured I would start that way. Welcome online. Probably every one of us in this room, people that are watching online, no doubt you have, some of us, most of us have in some way, shape, or form uh, been affected just a little bit by divorce. Uh, This is a really tender subject. I understand that. There's some of you here today that you're probably concerned about the state of marriage in our society, and you're kind of hoping that I'm going to really get after this and underscore the value of marriage and how bad divorce is. Others of you might be struggling struggling right now in your marriage. Probably nobody else knows it, but you know it. God knows it, and you're sitting there wondering, am I even going to like this message? What's, it, what's he going to say? Is it going to tick me off, or is it going to help me? Uh, some of you wonder if you're going to have to be bobbing and weaving uh, the shots that are going to come forth during this talk, because you've heard, heard other messages on divorce, and you think this could be the unforgivable sin. Others, you might be here and you've gone through the pain of a divorce as a husband or a wife, and you're wondering, is there any hope for me? Some of you grew up in a family where you experienced divorce. It was, you saw it, you had a courtside seat to it. You still carry some of the feelings, some of the questions, some of the scars, some of the difficulties from it. Here's the deal. A lot of times the church can shoot its wounded. It's possible in some ways to be so right that you become wrong. So what I want to do this morning, loved ones, I want to just, I want to speak scripturally and sensibly to this subject because, well, Jesus did. See, I I have a front row, I had a front row seat, man, I had a courtside seat to divorce growing up. Most of you know bits and pieces of my stories that I've shared over the years, but I was probably right around two years of age. I wanted to bring this picture this morning that shows me with my two half-brothers, when I was a little kid. I, I can't believe how cute I was. I just kind of wonder what in the world happened, you know, but I have this picture of my two half-brothers from my biological mother. She divorced my dad uh, somewhere early in the marriage when I was around two years old, and I never heard from her again. I think what happened is she had two sons coming into the marriage, so she just kind of said, eeny, miny, mo, just take Terry and we'll let you go. And uh, the, she went, I never saw her again, never talked to her uh, the rest of my life. Uh, I was five years old, uh, going on six, my father remarried, um, and uh, they got married, and, and I affectionately call those my Cinderella years for a lot of reasons. And uh, they, they weren't good years. They were very, very difficult. And I saw how their relationship went south very quickly. And I remember I was driving, we were driving up Oatfield Road in Milwaukee, <clears throat> and I was, prob- I was uh, in fifth grade. 
And as we're driving, I remember very clearly, it's as vivid, I could take you right to the spot. I'm in the back seat of the car and I see uh, my stepmother's face in the rear view mirror. And she just very clinically said, I'm gonna divorce your father or I'm gonna leave your father, whatever it was. Who do you wanna go with? And I, I was thinking, not you. <laughs> <laughs> but I was too scared uh, for a lot of reasons. They ended up getting divorced. I've done a lot of weddings. I've counseled uh, just about everybody that I've ever married. And it's interesting because nobody has gone into counseling and walked down the aisle and said, you know, man, this is a roll of the dice. 50-50, I hope I don't get divorced. Uh, nobody's ever said that to me. And I don't think anybody's ever thought it. Uh, but yet we still see a lot of people get divorced. And I was thinking about it because we just had this beautiful uh, vows renewal ceremony yesterday evening. And I was talking to somebody and I said, you know, I, I've, I've been really blessed that not a lot of the people that I've married have been divorced, have gotten divorced. Uh, the ones that have, basically, they were uh, both non-Christians and didn't have faith. There was a couple that were Christians that did. But I've done all these weddings and you know, my prayer is always that none of them end in divorce. It's so tragic. Jesus talked about it, so I want us to talk about it. It's the next part of our text in Matthew chapter 5. In the ancient world, some of you probably remember taking world history, and you heard about the, the Code of Hammurabi, uh, which basically governed the ancient world. And under its governance, the husband could divorce his wife at any time for any reason. He could just walk out. Uh, the woman would be left with the kids, the children, probably have very few resources. Uh, but here's the kicker. The ex-husband could come back at any time to reclaim his wife, his children, and where they lived and the resources. And, and the wife could technically remarry. The only problem is she probably wouldn't get anybody to remarry her as long as her husband was alive or lurking around uh, because he could come back at any time and that husband would lose his place in his position in the married. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff. But translation, uh, it was not a good law for women. Very, very vulnerable. Uh, in that day, uh, divorce had a lot of contention around family and resources. And fortunately, people in our day are so much mature. We don't have a lot of fighting over kids or money. You're supposed to laugh. That's, that's funny. That's about as much humor as you're going to get today. I want us to read the passage where Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Remember, Jesus is raising the ante on all of his commands. He's really trying to realign them for people based on what had happened through the decades, the weeks, the months, the centuries. He's saying, you've heard it said, but I want to kind of set this straight. I want to kind of reposition this in your heart and thinking. Jesus says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I'm going to tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for a case of sexual immorality, you'll notice that it says men divorcing their wife, uh, because that's usually the way that it happened, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman 
commits adultery. Let me just kind of reframe this one part here that uh, a lot of times, especially if you've been divorced, a lot of people live, and maybe they've even heard talks where, uh, like, this is like the unpardonable sin, that you've got to live in this state of adultery for the rest of your life. I don't believe that. If you read Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses about 27 through 32, 33, you'll see where Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is essentially this, is that you reject the Holy Spirit that draws you to God. In essence, you're rejecting the one who brings you to the one who brings salvation. That's the unpardonable sin. That is what Jesus said is the unpardonable sin. So the so, so the, the point is, is you, that adultery, no other sin is unpardonable. Every sin is pardonable before God, except the one that would bring you into the relationship with him that you reject. Do you commit adultery probably when you divorce for unbiblical reasons? I, I, it's what Jesus says here. But I don't believe that keeps you in this unending state of sin. If you have never repented and said, God, forgive me, and maybe go back to your spouse and own your stuff and ask for forgiveness, uh, that would probably be a good thing to do, especially if you're carrying around any sense of guilt over this. So Jesus speaks this, and I want to—we're going to have to kind of roll up our sleeves. There's a lot of information. I'm going to do kind of a flyby on this because I could take a few weeks on this. But uh, read Matthew chapter 19, uh, one through about 15, because you'll see Jesus kind of expands this a little bit more, and I'll reference a couple of those verses. But what I want you to see is that there is God's unchanging position concerning this issue, and there is man's condition within it. Neither of these have changed in history, and it's easy to stray from the heavenly position or become insensitive to the human condition and why it happens today. So what I'm going to do is I just want to take some statements by God himself in the scriptures and and just kind of work our way through it. Uh, The first one you'll see is in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. It says this, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife, listen to this, is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. There's no statement in Scripture, loved ones, that clearly speaks to this heavenly position like this one here. In its context, It literally suggests that when you divorce somebody, you doom harm to them. There's this violence. There's this cruel intention and action. Now, now while God hates divorce, this statement is neither directed at the one who is divorcing or the one who is being divorced, and that's important. God's statement says, I hate divorce. I hate the action of divorce itself. And Jesus pointed out that marriage, as he's talking about it here, some would look at it as kind of this outdated idea. But you can't get from the teachings of Scripture, from Jesus, from the Apostle Paul, that it is not something that God planned from the beginning of creation. And from the beginning, he planned for it in the language 
and the verbiage and the writings of the scripture, it was meant to have permanence. Often people see marriage from just the human perspective. And they so easily, we so easily and quickly forget that marriage has little to do with a piece of paper, although that is important, or human law, which is important, but it really is about God's law and what he has established. So God's statement, he says this, I hate divorce. It's cruel. Now get this next statement. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you've got Jeremiah who preached for 40 years, never saw a convert, but he was trying to bring his people back to him. God was wooing, calling, preaching through Jeremiah to bring him back to himself. I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Huh? That's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it? It's hard for me to get my mind around this. It says the one who hates divorce is one who divorced. Did you know that? We've all heard God hates divorce, but did we know that he gave a certificate of divorce? See, in the context of Jeremiah's lamenting prophecies, calling people back, divorce became the tool that he used to clarify his bride Israel's rebellion and harlotry and adultery with other gods during that time. Now hear me, God never agreed to her choice. It was only after she played, Israel played the harlot with many other lovers, pursuing, choosing many other gods, did he release her to the dreadful consequences that she would face. Captivity, destruction, judgment. In our verbiage, you would probably read something like uh, like this, divorce was not my choice, it was yours. So I left the marriage while I was still loving you so that you could experience the consequences that you really have chosen to pursue and experience. All this is important as we understand Jesus' statements. We see in Jeremiah 2.19, God says that your own wickedness will correct you. (laughs) Doesn't it happen that way? Have you ever done something where he had just really made a bad decision and you go, wow, I knew it going in and I still had to experience it. And what do we do? A lot of times we'll shake our hand and we'll raise our fist and we'll shake it at God and say, God, why are you doing this to me? God's not doing it. It's kind of like with his bride, Israel. He's turning you over to be able to experience what has already been set in motion. Numbers 20, uh, 32, 23 says this, our sin that catches up to us. It's our sin that finds us out. At every point along the way, hear me, loved ones, as you read the book of Jeremiah and the other prophets, God continues to invite, pursue, welcome his bride to return back to him. 
God waited. God called on her. But then he gave her the decree of divorce certificate so that she could go her own way. Uh, yet you see in the book of Hosea that God uses marriage and adultery and sexual immorality in the prophet Hosea's life to dramatize his relationship to, uh, to Israel. He tells Hosea, who had a wife, Gomer, who was out prostituting and doing everything that she shouldn't have been doing, and God says, you keep her. You reach out to her. You meet her needs. You take care of her. And God uses the picture of Hosea, the prophet Hosea, the book of Hosea to picture his faithfulness, always calling people back to himself. You, me. Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. It says, but it was not what God originally intended. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession for your hard hearts. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders in this passage. And he says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Notice he says, Moses permitted. But it was not what God had originally intended. In this passage, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have kind of do what they often did with Jesus. They're circling around and it says they were trying to trap him. They're trying to kind of corner him. You know, it's like you got a bunch of people talking to you, fast talkers, and someone over here is talking, someone over here is talking. They start shooting things at you. And they were trying to trap him. They're trying to get him mixed up on the law because that was the only way they could take him down. So they're trying to get him to say something wrong concerning divorce and the legalities of being able to divorce on any grounds. But Jesus refers not to what they were teaching, but to what God's original intent and basis for the Mosaic law was and for the Mosaic bill of divorce that came from Moses. And he's kind of talking about the condition of the heart. See, Moses' tolerance wasn't about God's divine will, but due to the stubborn, due to the unrepentant heart and the hardness of the heart of the people, he says, okay, you can do that. I, I think we see that around us all the time, don't we? Now, Jesus here, he's clearly stating that the condition of the heart, though is not an acceptable terms for divorce. Because see, that's what a lot of people do, don't they? I don't feel it. My heart's not in it. I quit loving them. And while there was a little bit of the hardness of heart, but Jesus says, no, though, that was never the intent of the bill and decree of divorce. It's so true. The more things change, the more they stay the same, isn't it? Remember the code of Hammurabi? God kind of answered that in Deuteronomy 24.1. This is what God says as, uh, through the inspiration of his spirit to Moses. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanliness in her. They're talking about sexual immorality there. If you look at other translations, they'll say sexual immorality, uncleanness, impurity. Uh, but the word there is really about sexual immorality. 
And he writes her a certificate of divorce. He puts it in his hand and he sends her out of the house. But the certificate of divorce was set up so he couldn't do what they did in the code of Hammurabi, come back and regain everything that he lost when he left the first time. This certificate that God gives is really to protect women. The husband couldn't come back and reclaim. But it's interesting because Jesus is doing this as we've been talking about in his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see that, you know, people do like they do today. Have you ever seen people that get divided into camps of belief? Have you? Let me give you a couple. A lot of theological debates about this and that that have been going on for centuries, never been settled, but you have people on both sides. That's good. Have a little debate. We, we, we see it today, don't we? Masks, no masks. Vaccine, no vaccine. P people, we have a tendency to get in our camps. And they did it back then. The more things change, the more they stay the same. See, the Pharisees had two main schools of thought and belief. And they were built around two of the kind of big dog rabbis of the day. And they built their thinking on this verse. In, in some of your translations, uh, in, in Deuteronomy 24, when it talks about the cause for divorce. Now, these two rabbis would take that word and they interpreted it differently in what it meant. They had two camps. They had two schools of thought. There was the school of Shammai. His followers were on the conservative side in how they interpreted Deuteronomy 24. He says that when God says it's the cause of immorality or uncleanness or sexual impurity or adultery, he's talking about sexual fidelity. And when this happened, Rabbi Shammai said, all you do is you'd have to give your, uh, as Jesus says here, you'd have to give your spouse a written decree of divorce. This was formal. Released you then from that person coming back. But now there was the school of Hillel, another rabbi, Hillel. He was more liberal. And he interpreted Deuteronomy 24.1 and that verse the, 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 where the word says cause in there, he said, he, he kind of interpreted it like we do today. He says, well, there's other causes for divorce beyond infidelity. It's almost like there's a any cause clause for divorce. Kind of like what's ours today? Irreconcilable, Irreconcilable differences. What, is there another one? Isn't there another one? I haven't been divorced. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, see, we got all these, all these legal terms, and that's what they were doing. So he had these two rabbis. Now, Rabbi Halal, he interpreted it, here would be a cause. Yeah, yeah, sexual infidelity is really big. But get this, if you burned your wife's toast, or if your wife burned your toast, you could leave her. Yeah. If you didn't like the meal she made at dinner, See you later. If she did something to make you mad and you sinned in your anger, you could say, I'm out of here. 
Now, whereas they had to do this legal thing, the bill of decree or certificate of decree for divorce, here's what Rabbi Hillel said. All you have to do is look your bride in the face and say, I leave you, I leave you, I leave you, or I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Get going. Now, you can imagine how the two camps would line up that day. It's just like, it's like us today. You got the ones that want the easy way out. See ya. You got the ones that are kind of rigid and they want to make sure everybody follows the rules and does the right thing. So they had these two camps. <laughs> Needless to say, divorce became pretty rampant throughout history and in Jesus' day. And he's coming to set the record straight that divorce was never part of God's initial intent in marriage. And like adultery, like murder, it goes much deeper than the act itself because there's heart issues and things that are taking place. Then he goes on, he says, well, except for sexual immorality, comes from scripture of Matthew 19, 9. It says, I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and fidelity and marries another commits adultery. There is a basis for divorce, sexual infidelity. But Jesus is very consistent in his application of the truth. And he's kind of coming to do a death blow to the school of thinking of Rabbi Hillel that begins to bring in all of these other causes or begins to make room for them. Jesus was very, very consistent in his own application because remember, when God divorces Israel, he said, we may divorce for the same reason. So let's let Jeremiah interpret the passage for us that Jesus is referring to. We look at it through Jeremiah's lens and what happened. Infidelity was not the basis for divorce. You know what it was? Continued infidelity, serial infidelity. See, while his lover Israel was, was playing the harlot with so many lovers, he was inviting her to continually return. The divorce was not to extricate himself from the relationship, but to force her to face the realities and the consequences of her decisions. It was a therapeutic, it was meant to be a healing action, not set up to free himself to pursue a new person, a new nation, a new agenda. Translation, biblical basis for divorce implies that the divorcing one is still waiting, inviting fidelity desiring, wanting, welcoming repentance while the divorced one has simply abandoned their commitment. One more. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, and you want to read most of the chapter. But Paul is speaking. He says, but if the unbeliever leaves, those who don't follow Jesus, you're married to them and they leave, let them leave. 
A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now, this section of scripture by Paul is debated a lot because in it, at one point, he says, now I say this not as God's will, but I say it as my belief. And then in other places, it's, it, it, he's speaking for God. So for some, it, it gets a little confusing. But Paul's contending in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians for marital stability, for life stability, and to live in ways that God can bless you regardless of whatever state you're in. Paul said, but if the unbeliever leaves, this is not an argument for divorce, but rather a release to peaceful freedom. Now, this freedom is offered to those who stay those who have tried to live in harmony with a non-Christian, non-Christ follower. It is not offered to those who just get up and want to leave. It's divorce due to abandonment. So Jesus kind of covers all of these things and he says, I, 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 we're not going to play word games with cause, with the word cause. We're, I'm going to set this up. Because you know what he's dealing with? He's dealing with back then, 2,000 years ago, what we deal with today. It's called the human condition. And we saw the human condition played out, obviously, in the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. But the human condition, I love what Ruth Graham said of the great evangelist, her husband, Billy Graham. Somebody asked her one time, they said, Mrs. Graham, You've got this great husband. He leads all these people to Jesus, travels all over the world. He's adored by many. Have you ever considered divorcing him? She thought for a second. It's a classic response. She says, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> I love that. Have you ever considered divorce? Sure, yeah, me too. I knew it was never an option. But I never got to the point of calling a lawyer. But isn't it amazing, in just a few nanoseconds, I was able to divide the estate, the house. Who's going to get the dog? How are the kids going to get split up? Who's going to get what? Who's going to get this? I mean, that quick. And then all of a sudden, I chuckle and go, how stupid. But that's what's important is that you get to that place where you understand and you can move beyond those things that are taking place. I mean, have you ever thought your wife or husband might leave you? Yeah, I have a number of times, especially when I don't treat her the way that Jesus says, Terry, I want you to love her like Jesus loves you, I wouldn't even blame her. See, our human condition is this. We're always going to look for a way out. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We can't do it on our own. See, we forget we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin 
because we've been born into sin. David said that we have been conceived in iniquity. Isn't it true that it's not easy for two stinking sinners to live close together? It is. How many times have you heard people, you get the word, somebody's splitting the sheets, and you go, oh my goodness, I would have never thought so and so would ever end up this way. But hear me, loved ones, and, and this is not, this is not, uh, I, I, this isn't negative, this is, this is truth, okay? I think you understand that. See, fallen people, fallenness is always looking for a way out, a way out of commitment, a way out of responsibility. Fallenness wants to be free when they feel trapped. They want to be free from obligations. They want to be free from the possibility of rejection from somebody. Divorce becomes the norm or expected end of fallen people because we want out. We really think that the other side is greener. In this environment, the unnatural response is to stay married and to try and work it out. Maybe you don't know this, but let me just give you quickly some of the, these are the reasons. This is God's heart about marriage. He always wants the best. And this, he's this designer of marriage, and he planned it with incredible depth and purpose. He planned it for uh, procreation, Genesis 1.21. He planned it for partnership. He said, man, he, I, I don't want man alone. This is not a good way to live, uh, Genesis 2.18. So he plans it for partnership. Ah, I love this one. He planned it for, par uh, for pleasure. Hebrews 13, 4, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, Proverbs 6, 18 and 19, love the wife of your youth. Be satisfied in her life. Song of Solomon, it's rated R. Not for raunchy, but because it's so romantic. For the purity of life, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, so that you don't burn. And it's just this Powerful, beautiful picture of Christ's love, Ephesians 5. So in the Sermon on the Mount here, loved ones, Jesus isn't doing a 2.0 update. He isn't coming to rebrand his commandments and his points on marriage. But he's bringing every one of us back to his original intent and meaning that has been watered down through time. I want to give you just a couple of things that I think are so important. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is death. In life, how often do you choose the easy way rather than uh, the hard right? Do you tend to take the easy way, opting for the path of least resistance? Even when you know it's clearly the right way to go, it's the healthy choice. See, Jesus came to our lives, Colossians 2 says, that man, he did away with the debt and the power of sin on the cross. 
And he says, you can walk, you can actually parade around in his victory. I, I believe the scripture is pretty clear on this because some of you probably, I'm not being real clear about this in some ways. You're thinking, well, what, what, what's the thing for divorce? Here's where divorce is allowed. It's from adultery. Uh, not one time, but it's ongoing adulteries. We saw Jesus live with his bride, Israel, for so long. Abandonment, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I will say abuse. Because God is against wicked, painful people hurting people. You can't read the scriptures without that. And if you are in any kind of an abusive situation, I've never once encouraged one person to get divorced, but I have encouraged people to move out to be safe. So how do you pivot to protect yourself from divorce. I would say here's a couple of things. Grow in walking so closely to Jesus. First and foremost, build your relationship with Jesus. See, only God can make your heart loving and forgiving. Moses talked about the hardness of heart, and it's so easy to go there for your heart to get hard towards something, towards somebody. But Jesus is the one that can come and marinate and massage it. There's nothing like an authentic daily relationship with God and to keep your heart in tune and pure. If you could only do one thing, I'd say do this. Spend time with Jesus every day. He's the only one that can change you. The closer you go to Christ, I'm, I, I believe this, the stronger your heart will be toward people around you. The second thing, build a great marriage. One of the best defenses of divorce, one of the best defenses against adultery, thought or deed, as Jesus has talked about, is a strong marriage. This loving, this desiring one another that wants to please Jesus, that wants to in, invest in that marriage for purity and strength, and you commit to loving your spouse. Here's the truth. I would never want to hurt Jesus. I never want to hurt Trina. I never want to hurt my family. And I never want to bring ill repute upon the church. When you have a great marriage, it's so much easier to stay pure and committed. I tell people this in counseling sometimes. You know, you're not very likely to steal a Volkswagen on the street when you've got a Porsche in the garage at home. And I've told you this, I've got a Porsche. Now, Trina, she's far from perfect, but she's more perfect than I ever deserved. And I want to focus on my life to be the best husband I can be. I made a decision before I'd ever come to Christ. I was 16 years old. I think I've told you this. My dad was almost into his third divorce. But by the grace of God, they come to Christ. They started going to church. They forced me to go to church. But before that event happened, I saw the, I, I saw the stuff, the implosion and the explosion things for the third time as a teenager. And this thing was going south quick. And I made a commitment one day on my bedroom. I just said, if I don't do anything else right in my life, I'm going to have a good marriage. 
And sometimes you have to do that as a spouse. There's got to be just this unfettered, unbridled ambition, holy ambition to say, I'm going to be the best for my spouse. Thirdly, guard your affections. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, loved ones. Guard your affections. You may feel levels of affinity, even sometimes attraction to other people. That's kind of how we're wired. But there are affections, there are emotional points that are only for your spouse. And when you begin to see those feelings crossing lines, crossing boundaries, I can't emphasize this too much. Be ruthless with any of those straying affections. Find a friend that will look you in the eye and get in your grill and say, I will walk with you through this. But we got to deal with this. Get help. Take decisive action if you feel like your affections begin to stray. To the singles, be strong. I know, I know. I've been married for 43 years, so I don't have a lot of street cred with you. But single is not bad. Use this time that you're single to build your heart for God and your character in Christ. Prepare yourself for marriage. Do your head work. Think about, read about marriage. Learn from other people. Do your homework. Talk with other married couples that you go, wow, I respect your marriage. Tell me how you're doing it. And then do your heart work before Jesus. Lord, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to be in a hurry. I'm not going to take shortcuts. I'm not going to give myself up to think I can win somebody that way. Be a strong single. One last thing. God hates divorce. Doesn't that just sound unusual when we talk about God? God hates divorce. Why is that? Uh, maybe you're here today, you've already been scarred by divorce, and divorce could be like this, these very deep waters that just make you feel sometimes like you're drowning spiritually. Psalm 144, verse 7, says that the psalmist says, God, reach down, come down from heaven and rescue me from my drowning waters. God hates divorce. You know why? You probably never thought of this. God hates divorce. Why? Because it breaks the heart of God. It breaks his heart for you when he sees you having gone through it and still feeling some of the pain if you do. But you know what else breaks his heart? <laughs> He's gone through it. Yeah. Don't forget, God is a divorcee. You read the passage about marriage and divorce and you begin to pick up the anguish in the heart of God. God says, I've been through all the humiliation of being rejected, I know. God says, I know all about that pain of betrayal. God says, I know all about the anguish of broken vows from hard-hearted people. God, a divorcee, he invented the first recovery program for divorcees. You know what it is? It's the cross of Jesus Christ at Calvary. 
He invites us. He covered the cost of the course through the blood-stained cross that he gave his life on so that we could experience wholeness and forgiveness and freedom. He paid the price, loved ones, for every one of us in this room, you and me. Repent, turn to him, admit your failure, and simply ask for his forgiveness. God went through all of this for you and for me because he is love and compassion. And his heart is toward those who are hard-hearted and vow-breakers like me. And he says, I'll heal you. I don't know where you are today. There have been a few times in my almost 30 years here where people have literally gotten divorced and I had no idea wind of it. So when I say these things, I, there could be you here right today that's thinking you're there. And I invite you to come to the recovery cross and submit your marriage to Jesus together. I invite you, if you need help, if you want some assistance from people, they aren't going to judge you, but we have a marriage mentoring group program that we would love to set you up with another married couple and help you walk through it, get through it, focus on Jesus, get some tangible help because it's that important. It's that important for you. It's that important for your family. It's that important before God. Would you stand with me? you just bow your heads for a moment and I'm not going to ask anyone to show a hand or anything. I just, I just want you to say a prayer there as you're standing there and say, Lord, where's my heart? What is my heart's disposition right now toward my spouse? Is it moving toward them or is it moving away from them? And I say this with great pastoral love and affection, but challenge. If, if, if you find yourself moving away, it's time to say, God, forgive me. I repent. I got to change my direction and lean in to my spouse and you right now. Everything is always one step. Everything is always one word. Everything is, starts small. So today, I want to invite you as you stand there, if anybody's in that position, would you just take a moment between you and God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you first so I can get back to where I need to be heading with my spouse. Father, I pray for these people right now. That with the group online and with the people in this room, it's probable that there's at least a person or two that 
They're feeling this gravitational pull away from their spouse. Lord, I pray that the gravitational pull of the Spirit would pull them back. That you'd begin to minister to them now in this moment. There'd be brokenness and repentance in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're online and you have never made a commitment or response to Jesus Christ. I invite you to do that today. God's faithfulness is so deep and so incredible, but he'll let you go where you want to go. But he'll always be working to bring you back. And some of you, God might be speaking to you today to now at this point. And I would encourage you, whether online, just click the little hand that says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Or maybe you're here today and you would want to just humbly raise your hand, courageously, boldly raise your hand and say, Terry, I, I want to make a choice today to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I want you, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I, I need to follow Jesus and I want to pray for you. So if that, if that would be anybody here today, just raise your hand and let me just kind of catch your eye if I could. Is there anybody here today? Yes, I see you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Thank you. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you, Lord. If you're online and you've clicked that and those that have raised their hand here this morning, would you just pray a simple prayer, kind of after me, words to this effect? It's not the prayer that saves you, it's the heart that's responding to Jesus. But you get to nail this day down and say it was April 18th, 2021. I drove a stake in the ground for my marriage or I drove a stake in the ground to follow Jesus. So Father, I pray for these that are making decisions today for your life. They're coming and they're basically saying, Father, forgive me. Thank you that you would send Jesus to secure my salvation, forgive my sins so that I can walk in confidence and power. In Jesus' name, would you receive me today? And for those of you that have raised your hands, would you just make that simple prayer for yourself and know that Jesus hears and responds. So thank you, Lord. For some of us, this message might have been hard. For some of us, it might have been challenging. And for some of us, Lord, it just might be healing because we've carried this around for so long. And I pray, Lord, that those people would be able, as they leave this room today, just simply sit their baggage down and receive the forgiveness of Jesus as they leave today. Give them a new start. Give them a pure start. Give them a clean start, Lord, to be able to enjoy and walk in the power and blessing of singleness or marriage. So thank you, Lord, for this church. We bless you in your strong name. Amen.